Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 26, the Season 6 finale, The Whistleblower. In this episode, Joe comes to Scranton, Dwight looks to diversify, and word gets out about Sabre's printers. Before we start this episode, we, again, would just like to apologize for the long time between episodes. Just when we thought we were kind of back into an area where we could, you know, put Owen down for a nap and watch an episode of The Office or record an episode or have Owen just sit here calmly and we could record an episode. Uh, The proverbial shit hit the fan. Owen has had um, a couple of ear infections in this time, which cause him to miss daycare for, you know, a day or two here and there. Uh, Our daycare also had a COVID scare, so that closed them down for a week. And then we, there was the giant winter storm that, again, closed our daycare for pretty much the entire week after that. So we have been just a little occupied with our time. So this episode picks up where we left off last episode. And if you remember, the previous episode ended with Michael leaving the office and being confronted by the local press, and he thinks it's about his affair when it is actually about word getting out about Saber's cheap printers catching on fire. Right. This episode opens with Michael watching a video of himself responding to those reporters' questions. He has sort of taken it upon himself to be the Sabre spokesperson on this without actually getting official permission to do that, I would say. He says that he's talked to like the local news station, a local radio station, and perhaps maybe the local newspaper, if I'm recalling correctly. And he's seeking out some of these interviews by calling in or contacting the reporter he's not continuing to receive calls so his his video uh press conference is number two on the local news station website so he asked everyone in the office to go and watch the video at least 11 times to get him up to number one The office does so, but is quickly distracted by a video of a baby otter at the local zoo, which does sound pretty cute. And so after this, we see that Joe is visiting the Scranton branch because she has found out that there is a leak to the press seemingly coming from the Scranton branch and needs to know who it is. And so she plans on interviewing like everybody, in order to figure out who talked to the press. And this is kind of one of those signs of the times thing, because let's say you are Sabre. So in like the in current times, chances are if you're a company, 
you have a social media platform, you have an online presence of some sort. For the most part, yeah. And so you probably have your Twitter account, your like Google alerts, things like that set up to where if your company name comes up, it is auto, you know about it. And so in this situation, I feel like Joe's investigation ends real quick because, oh, here's a video of Michael talking to the press. Here's news clippings with quotes by Michael Scott. So I feel like there's like, even in this time, even in the time of, even in the current time of the episode, I feel like that exists in some way, shape, or form to where Joe would have known that it was Michael. Yeah, I'm, it's a little confusing. This isn't the best episode. It hasn't been the best season in the sense that Michael didn't know anything about these printers that we seemingly as the audience are aware of. But he's responding to the questions and talking about the issue like he is. So I was confused in watching this the first time and then on continued rewatches as to why Joe and management aren't more upset at Michael for continuing to talk to the press when they don't have, like, clearly have a press strategy. Whereas she's focused on how the press knew it all, but... At some point in the episode, she says that, you know, they had heard from their customers this was happening. They had put together a patch with a software update, which I'm not sure how a software update would uh, patch a mechanical issue. Like, I don't think that's accurate. No, probably not. And then they were going to provide, like, free toner to the affected customers. And that was going to be it. They had letters going out. So the customers had contacted seemingly corporate about this like this was on her radar so there's just a lot of there's a lot of uh i don't know if continuity is the right word but there's a lot of writing issues that just don't have like a very good through line with this whole like whistleblower and printer problem plot it's also not clear what joe plans to do with the whistleblower again it could have been a customer that's why I'm confused why it's automatically like come to Scranton do this investigation but that's just sort of how that's just the setup of the episode and that is literally the entire episode there's little minor offshoots of plot but the entire episode is just figuring out what to do with the whistleblower and how to tidy up these printer fire issues yeah, as he said, this isn't the greatest episode because I just everything is very messy. Like there is very little through line of anything. And because you have Joe trying to figure this out and basically the entire office knows that Andy is the one that made the video. Yeah, he's been very vocal about his findings. But it's also not very clear whether or not Andy actually told anybody that he has this video other than going to Gabe and saying, hey, this is happening. I'm getting this call from my client and... Right, and you would think that Gabe as the corporate liaison 
in Scranton would have knowledge of that through corporate. But it it seemed as though he was hearing this for the first time from Andy. Is that right? Am I thinking? Yeah, yeah. Because then he says, "All right, we've we looked into it, and only X number of printers caught on fire out of this many, and it's only when you print X number of pages or more." And I will say, the whole episode, there's this weird hatred to Andy as though he's the one that has put the company in jeopardy. It's it's really unclear where everyone's anger and frustration with Andy is really like coming from. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a a fear that if nobody comes forward, then everybody is going to get punished in terms of everybody at the office. And so as the episode continues on, we learn that Andy isn't the only person that, well, we know that Andy isn't the only person that knows about this. And we get the vibe that Andy hasn't told anybody about it. But we learn that other people have, in fact, told people outside of the company and that they may or may not be the one that got it leaked to the press. And it's all a lot of, like, secondary... Circumstantial, like, things kind of fall in place. Yes. So we see a scene where Angela, Phyllis, and Oscar are pressuring Michael to out Andy essentially they say Andy's the one that made the video he's the one that told it's Andy give him up and Michael is hesitant to do this just because he doesn't want any of his employees getting in trouble so he does talk to Andy and just like hey why did you do this and this is where Andy says like I didn't tell anybody and Daryl is just as guilty in this as well because he was the one that videotaped it Yeah, he might have given up the story. Now, this is where the fact that there could be all these potential leakers is where this episode, for me, does a lot of telling instead of showing. In the sense that, so this storyline about the printer fires really came up in only the past two episodes. It's not something that's been going on for the whole season or the bulk of the season. It's just something that happens. So then you have Pam telling Jim, oh, I think I'm the leak because I just happened to tell someone at daycare because I didn't know what else to say. And it turns out this woman's husband is a reporter. You have Kelly say, well, I think I tweeted it out. You have Daryl telling Michael that he told a woman in a bar about it and that woman turned out to be a copy editor for the trib so you have these three potential leakers but my thought is that if this is your season finale and you're trying to give heft to we might be losing one of these characters like joe might be taking this really seriously maybe this should have been a storyline that played out. I'm not saying it has to turn into a mystery or something like that, but this should have been a storyline that maybe played out over the course of, I don't know, 
five, six, seven episodes instead of just three. And then at the very end, you have three people being like, well, I could have done it. And you spend 20 minutes, like, basically searching for the mole. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, as I was watching this episode, it reminded me of wrestling booking. um, (laughs) Because sometimes with wrestling booking, there is a start point and an end point. It seems like this way. There's a start point and an end point, and they need to get from point A to point B, and how they get to that is just kind of up in the air, and it's, eh, we're going to do this this week. And that's how this episode felt, which is weird because I I understand what you say. It feels like this should have been a, okay, we're going to, in episode A, we want to start this, and in episode B, we're going to end it. And there's, you know, three or four weeks in between there. But they only did it in one episode. And it's not like they are filming these episodes on a weekly basis. Like these are all being filmed at once. And so they know how they're going to get from a point A to point B. There is no figuring it out on the fly. Like it is all put down, you know, as it's going on, like all at one time. There is no just, okay, well, we did this last week. So what if we did this this week? And then... Okay, that means we'll do this next week. And that's... The Office suffers from... It's a show that started in the mid-2000s. It's coming off the era of, like, 90s comedies where... If you think about just other NBC comedies, if you just think about, like, laugh track comedies, and this isn't a laugh track comedy, but... It is just an episode. It's just a singular episode. There is not a ton of continuity outside of the one episode you're watching. It's not a drama. It's not a law and order thing. Whereas in the year 2020, as shows have gotten, you know, as we've really hit and then exploded past like prestige peak TV, comedies do that. They have through lines. They have continuity it is not just a singular episode that's just happening and then suddenly we forget you know three episodes later that this person had a sister you know whatever you know things like that it it, it's not just something for the sake of that one episode and I think that's just where like when we're looking at the lens of how shows are currently written and a lot of shows now just I think it's like the state of the world in some respects are more like dramedies like even insecure had like dramatic moments i'm trying to think we don't watch a lot of comedies not in the moment no like we're watching we watch righteous gemstones currently yeah and i would say righteous gemstones is an example of a generally half hour to 35 minute comedy but does have carrying storylines it is not just it's not a it's not a friend it's not a seinfeld where it is just an insular 30 minutes and so The Office is sort of an insular 30-minute show. And so that's why sometimes I think the writing, I call it sloppy, but I, I think that's just perhaps how it was done for comedies then. And so kind of back to my point, I it's hard to tell where point A and point B is for this episode. Like, we are introducing this thing so we can get to this point. And 
there is something that comes up at the end of this episode that makes you think, all right, well, that was the point of this whole thing. But it's a really weird way to get to point B. Uh, Agree. Agree. And I think we can sort of, if you're willing, I think we can sort of just skip through a blow by blow of this whistleblower coming forward and the chess pieces. What ends up happening? Yeah, yes, I I agree. There's not a whole lot that happens until basically the last 10 minutes of five minutes of the episode. So what ends up happening, what the end point seems to be is a heart to heart between Joe and Michael. And so in order to get to that, they needed this way of breaking down Joe, which if you recall, the last time we saw Joe, Michael was kind of pissing her off by overstepping professional boundaries. Yeah. So Joe has put up a bit of a wall in just maintaining professionalism. Michael has seemingly respected that, but is not willing to give up his employees. He knows that he potentially has, I guess, Andy, Daryl, Kelly, and Pam that could have, this could have potentially come from them. They don't know. So he's trying to get Joe to go easy on them. And that results in Joe taking him to an airplane hangar on her private jet where they essentially have a heart to heart. Yeah. And and even how we get to this point is very odd because earlier in the episode, Joe has an interstitial saying that her mom was a prison guard. And if something happened, she would question him, ask one thing. If the people were like, yeah, come down on them hard. They were innocent. If they come, if they say, oh, well, we should be lenient on them. That was the person that was guilty. And so when she first questions Michael, Michael's just like, oh, yeah, they're terrible. We need to we need to hurt them, blah, 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 knowing that he's the one that talked to the press. And so later, after he has talked to Daryl, Pam and Kelly, who have asked him to talk to Joe to say to try and take it easy on them. Michael has a change of heart. And so this is when Joe's just like, hmm, something's wrong here. And this is where she takes him to the private jet. And so it was a really weird trigger to say, well, why? What's going on with Michael right now? And so Joe breaks down and says that from when she was a little girl, she always wanted to be successful. And she wanted to make herself into this very successful woman. And maybe at some point they'd make a Barbie doll after her. And so Joe sees this as her being a failure. This this thing, this thing with the printers, is her business being substandard, and that reflects poorly on her. She hates. She says she hates that she sells cheap printers. Like this is not the business that she envisioned. It's not really this standout CEO position. Now she asks Michael, "You seem off." You know, she she really lays the groundwork to allow him to open up to her. And he just says, yeah, it's just been, oh, I've been going through a rough patch. It's been a rough year even, you know, for that matter. And if you'll recall, last season finale is company picnic. He was with Holly. Holly was dating AJ. He was with Holly to do the comedy sketch. Sorry. Holly was still dating AJ. It was still Dunder Mifflin then. It was... You know, they were having financial problems, but a lot has changed in Michael's life over the course of that year. He had hope 
last year that things could potentially work out with Holly, but there hasn't been any Holly sightings in that year. You know, he says he bought a video camera and he looked back on it and there was only 12 minutes worth filming in this whole year. And so he's just feeling down. And even this is kind of out of nowhere as well. Agreed. In the previous two episodes, we see Michael in a relationship of some sort, but he is only unhappy in this relationship in the final, like, five minutes of the previous episode where people are like, hey, you need to not do this because it's wrong. We get no sense that Michael is doing this as a way to compensate for missing Holly or that Michael has a change of heart because he knows this relationship isn't going anywhere and he wants what he once had with Holly. Yeah, there weren't any Holly crumbs, let's call it, to like lead to this moment. And so Joe asks, well, who is Holly? And Michael says, well, she's the HR rep in Nashua. And so correct me, correct my understanding here, Curtis, if I don't have this right. I thought that Saber just had Dunder Mifflin Scranton. No, they took over the entire business of Scranton. But like they said, it's only for the distribution. Exactly. I thought they closed off all the other branches is what I took that as. I didn't think so. Okay. So I didn't know. And this was, again, one of those like details that may be a little squishy. It's never clear what other branches from the previous Dunder Mifflin fall into Saber. Yeah, I, I guess like... Because when all the board, when all the Dunder Mifflin board got fired... Pam at one point says that Michael's the highest ranking employee. Now, we don't know any other thing about, you know, the other branch managers, but it's it's just never clear what's still in play. Yeah, I I assume that it didn't it doesn't matter that they didn't buy the Scranton branch because it's the most profitable one. That doesn't matter to them. They just care that Dunder Mifflin has a good distribution network. And so I think we have to assume that every other branch is just like the Scranton branch and that there is the office portion, but everybody else also has a warehouse portion and has their own trucks and does delivery and all of that stuff. So sure. that's what they're getting, I guess. I Yeah. They didn't really flesh out that details and and really nobody's going to pay attention to that. So, okay, we took a detour. So what happens is that Joe says she doesn't want to go and give this public apology about these printer fires. Michael doesn't miss a beat in volunteering to do it for her. It happily does it. He, he kind of likes the media attention. All he does is read a prepared statement to the press. And, and really all that happens is that they recall the printers. They're going to provide some sort of compensation to the affected customers. This happens often with consumer products so because michael has taken the fall or just gone out publicly not really taken the fall he's he's doing a public face that joe just what doesn't want to do because she finds it shameful she doesn't want to take it on so she leaves the scranton branch at the end of the episode and just says thanks for doing that if there's ever any way i can brighten your life let me know and michael's like we could transfer holly back not thinking that 
it's going to happen. It just seems like something he says. And she's like, huh, I'll see what I can do. So that was the end point. That yep. The whole whistleblower fire printer thing was for that. Yeah. A, you know, a throwaway line in two different conversations. Yeah. And so, yes, like I said, there seemingly should have been a multitude of other ways to get to this point. But they chose a very convoluted storyline. And and like I said, you know, it it's very much like a, to go back to a wrestling analogy. It's like they started this with Andy and Daryl doing the video. And it's mostly Daryl using Andy just to kind of have some fun with him and make him do silly stuff. And it's almost like, again, if this was happening in real time, the writers were like, Oh, people really liked that segment. That was funny. Let's, let's build off of that. Let's, let's, let's use this. And that storyline is just so shallow that, they're like, now they're they write themselves into a corner where it's like oh okay well we don't have a whole lot beyond just this funny video and we need to use this though to get holly back to scranton so uh, i don't know what are we gonna do yeah the blocking for this season is odd like they knew they were gonna have jim and pam's wedding and they knew they were gonna have jim and pam's baby and so that's where a good bulk of the first half went. And then they didn't have anywhere to pivot. They tried Andy and Aaron, and they shut that down. You know, the writers shut that down. They had this Angela Dwight thing going on, which we did not get any check-in about that this episode. They had Michael have a relationship with Helene. And have this relationship with Donna. So it was almost like they, as we said, there was not anything that carried through from start to finish. So season two and three, you know what season two and three are about. You know, they they have a major overarching plot line with other smaller plots that resolve well. Season five ha- was was getting more even, but it was about Michael and the company for the most part after Jim and Pam had gotten together and gotten engaged. And he, and it was the start of Michael and Holly and how that really played out. But season six, beyond the shutting down of Dunder Mifflin and becoming a Sabre company, that just wasn't enough to carry the whole season. There wasn't any story to that there were just things that happened if that makes sense yeah and so i think we can go to the annex right now there there are other things that happen that i think are we are going to cover in our subsequent awards and things like that i think one thing that happens that won't get covered there is that we and some of we mentioned earlier there is this weird animosity towards andy about making this video and potentially leaking this to the press. And when Gabe concludes his investigation, he says, yes, it was Andy. You were the one that did it. And so 
people kind of bully Andy for like two minutes of episode time the rest of the way and put his bag in the ceiling and Aaron comes over and says, I think you did the right thing. I think you were very brave and touches Andy's leg. And so that lasted all of like three episodes where they didn't like each other. Yeah. So Aaron and Andy reignited potentially for the next season. Yes. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. This episode was directed by Paul Lieberstein, who plays Toby. So one of the offshoots is that Dwight had a very good year. One of the plot offshoots, I should say. Dwight had a very good year financially, good salesman. And Joe says, you better be turning that money into more money. You need to invest in property, which I don't think that is... For me, as just a millennial that saw the global financial recession and just the issues with property, I'm not sure that's the advice anymore. Yeah, this is like <laughs> literally right before the real estate bubble. No, no, this is already after the real estate yeah, bubble burst. Yeah, this is like, I think, 2010. Yeah, so, and also Dwight has already invested in property. He owns he, a beet farm. That's to say, he owns a 60-acre beet farm. It seems weird that he finds that... A bit of advice so revelatory but anyways he decides he's gonna buy a building turns out in the end he decides to buy the screen office park that's not where he originally had had his real estate agent looking but that's where he ends up and the office park is located on slough avenue and it's on slough avenue because the original uk version of the office was set in slough united kingdom this finale did not get very good reviews overall. It, it was a mixed up and down season, and the and most of the reviews felt that the finale re- reflected that. So if you'll recall, when Toby gets called in for questioning with um, the investigation, kind of more Joe just checking in with the HR rep in the office, she says that they found on his computer a mystery novel and Joe skimmed the first chapter and she has some suggestions. Well, writing it this way is paying tribute to Kathy Bates's character in Misery and that's where she plays an obsessed fan of a novelist and she keeps him hostage while she advises him on ways to improve the novel. So that's kind of where that came from. Yeah. While they were shooting at the airplane hangar, there was a halting briefly to the filming so that Steve Carell could have a meeting with Greg Daniels and Paul Lieberstein to announce to them that he would be leaving at the end of the seventh season, which is when his contract was up. Now, there's no further explanation as to why the meeting had to take place at that time when it did, like why they had to pause shooting in order to have that meeting or if there was anything about that scene or something that that prompted that um but Steve Carell always had a seven season contract was my understanding it could have been renegotiated but Steve Carell was the one that decided to step away because he's blown up at this point like he is getting all sorts of other offers so yeah I don't that's probably not all that surprising and I don't know how what the contracts it's never been said at least i don't listen to the office ladies podcast not through any malice i just don't have enough podcasting space to listen to it yet i don't know what the contract was like for any of the other 
you know, main actors, if there was always, or if there was any frame of reference in mind for when they want to end the show. Going back to kind of what I was saying earlier with this being sort of a um, coattails to the 90s comedy, it seemed like when shows started, they there was not an end point often. If you think about how Lost was a bit of a train wreck, now it seems like in order to pitch an idea, you need to have at least the beginning and the end. You may not know fully what's happening in between, but you also have a general idea of how many seasons you would like to do. Yeah. They don't really let shows jump the shark that much anymore. But sometimes I think that works the other way around. I think you you see hugely popular shows now like Insecure or Succession that have these end dates that I don't think the you know the 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 channel that's airing them is just like okay fine like if if they could keep having this show going and have it keep printing money essentially then yeah they're gonna they're gonna do it like game of thrones i guess is a yeah but even that kind of had an i think an end date on it as well so yeah but to yes to your point you don't see shows go this long you know there's there's probably not going to be another big bang theory yeah i mean hell even like seven seasons is a long time for a show and to have a contract to go out that far that's that's yeah pretty unseen now mm-hmm, definitely curtis do you think we had any firings this episode yeah i think we lose toby for clearly using a lot of company time to write his mystery novel that's his second firing this season i'm not sure how many times he's been fired for the entire show maybe like five and so the the firing stats for this season there really aren't too many notable ones michael got fired the most and he got fired 10 times which is a which is low which is low for him for sure and then dwight got fired six times and those are kind of the the high water marks for the season if you recall we did lose both daryl and aaron this season and so we are pretty much just down to gabe in terms of who is keeping the office running. Antoinette, do you have a Dundee for this episode? My Dundee Award is the best social media strategy. It goes to Daryl. So when the IT guy, Nick, is quitting, not quitting, he's just leaving his job, it turns out that no one got to know him. We didn't even get to know him. As the audience, I feel like we saw him very briefly not even a handful of times he's pretty perturbed with the members of the office who don't know his name don't remember him and he says i've seen all of your hardware now and he kind of just points out different things that he's seen on computers he comes to daryl and he says daryl why do you keep telling everybody you're not on facebook you are on facebook man we just want to be your friend on facebook i feel like that's a good strategy for work though now People, only olds, only boomers are truly using Facebook nowadays to spread misinformation. But, or or if you, my understanding through Curtis is if you are using it, it's purely for invitations. It's purely so people don't have to get your email to send just an, an e-vite to like a party or something. 
But back in the early 2000s, going into the 2010s, that was the best strategy. This was there was a combining of all the worlds in some senses like it was hard to keep your uh, personal life you know private from your work life if you let everyone be friends with you on Facebook and then there were instances you would hear and you hear it every so often now but not as much where people have called in sick to work but then posted a picture of themselves at the beach or at a baseball game or something and that person subsequently gets fired for misusing a sick day so all that to say it's probably for the best to not be social media friends with people you work with depending on what you use your social media you know for what is your dundee kind of tying into yours the most confusing storyline is the nick the it guy storyline because he makes this very grand exit when he maybe appeared in like three total episodes and they again kind of built him as this character that we should know more about or kind of played a larger role in the season than he actually did and it's almost like they forgot to use him here and there and it's like oh well he's now kind of integral but not really integral to this storyline and now we're getting rid of him but we've only used him a handful of times well oops (laughs) and the whole purpose is to have him be able to see everyone's computer and then point it all out because he wasn't just a guy like they could have literally used him in this episode and that's it they could have just been a one-off character but he appears in i think at least three episodes this this season number i don't fully understand how writers rooms work bj novak was on armchair expert i still don't understand how it works it wasn't a great episode of armchair expert but there does, and I know that certain people are assigned certain episodes, but there has to be some sort of like brainstorming or someone's got to be checking stuff for continuity, you would think. And that doesn't appear to be the case on The Office, like, especially for this season. And I don't know what the change is or was. I don't know what the change was. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? I guess I'll go with Joe, uh, just because she was able to sort of weather this small storm without having to speak publicly because Michael decided to do it for her. What about you? I chose Dwight just because I think, and this maybe is like a season-long award as well, Dwight has kind of broken away from that like somewhat broken away from that like plot like always plotting always manipulative always subservient to michael like that side of his character it does come up here and there but he is now he like he's just he still just has that quirkiness to him but it feels more secondary like that's just a part of what his character is and but he and so i think Rain Wilson has a very good comedic season this season where we are getting kind of just better lines and moments from Dwight that aren't just focused on how weird he is, basically. Yeah. But also because, you know, 
as Joe said, he's doing very, very well. And he's about to buy the office park that Dunder Mifflin resides in. And that does bring some kind of funny moments in in future seasons. Yeah, it's another aspect to mine of Dwight. Yeah. So that does it for this week's episode and for this season. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates and continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening and sticking with us through these long breaks. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.